Hello and welcome to the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, the reigning, undisputed, lightweight champion of the world, Ian. How are you doing, Ian? Can't be asked. <laughs> lucky, luck, lucky we're doing this, I think, for the listeners. Uh, both of us can't be really asked today, can we? I think it's more of a, a reasoning of um, a five-day hangover for you, considering how wasted you were at this wedding. Ah, oh, it's all right. Well, to, be, to be fair, as as hangovers go, it wasn't that horrendous on uh, on Sunday. I was uh, relatively peachy, and you with your little cold that you had, snivelling, car with spending a two hour car journey with you each way to Scarbados, spending the night uh, in a room with you. I was expecting to fucking have the flu, but I've managed to. My powerful immune system has uh, obviously kept it at bay. I feel like. Um, and that's recompense of you potentially getting cold because I had to look after you on Saturday night. Within four pints of Guinness, you were getting leery with people in pub. First thing you do when you get to this wedding, unbutton your shirt, get your chest out and start showing people how hairy your chest is. I think you've, you've over-exaggerated there, but obviously plenty to be is angry it? about watching the Liverpool match. Like few, plenty of reasons to be fuming watching that and... It was at least about an hour in before the shirt got unbuttoned when someone made a comment about hair in my chest, what my chest was. So uh, by that point, I'd had a few additional rums and uh, bam, out came the fucking hairy, hairy chiseled abs that uh, women couldn't take their eyes off. Well, we had someone coming up to us, didn't we, and uh, recognising us from the Tapping Up podcast. Exact words, wasn't it? Aren't you Ian from the world famous Tapping Up podcast? And I was like, yeah, I am. I am indeed that cunt. I mean, I, I like to pretend that it was just a randomer and we'd never, ever seen them before and they just recognised us, but obviously one of my mates <laughs> were at the wedding. Well, so given not quite no one knows what we look like, uh, it would be very weird if someone came up to us, but uh, just by... I know that voice. Have I, heard, have, I, have I heard you on the podcast? That would be weird, but yeah, it was your mate. And he was taking I'm, piss. Yeah, we were absolutely taking piss and then you battered you uh, later in the night and then obviously after you came to blows, you ended up on the floor. Uh, that's completely not a lie. Uh, <laughs> He'd like to think it, it were true. She's listening now. You think you think you said got lucky away? You didn't get choked out, Luke. Thank you, lucky, thank you, lucky stars. Uh, let's get straight into a very uneventful and, to be honest, quite quiet week in MMA. Um, not really much has happened, to be honest. There's nothing really noteworthy that I can think of immediately. We've got. A fight night this weekend, which we'll come on to, which is uninspiring to say the least. Um, no real big news. There was a little bit about McGregor was filmed uh, sparring and, and practicing, and people were thinking, "Oh, is this finally the chance that he's, he's going to get and back on the combat trail?" And it's going to be announced that he's fighting Chandler soon. But again, that's gone quiet because it always does. Uh, anywhere in particular that you want to start? Um, I was the only one that I had was uh, I thought to start with uh, a PFL in Paris. And um, I think I've talked about him a couple of times before, a very high level kickboxer that uh, nearly signed with the UFC and uh, PFL stepped him up called Cedric, uh, Cedric Dumbay, uh, making his MMA debut. Nine seconds it took him to KO the guy. And uh, it's worth watching because it was a pretty brutal KO as well. Um, so impressive start from him and definitely one I would have thought the UFC will be looking to try and sign uh when his contract's up if he carries on smashing people but um that was about it from from PFL Paris for me what um where is he at he is a welterweight so it'd be uh Leon Edwards uh weight category interesting I mean welterweight's one of those that's fairly stacked in UFC. I mean, so. he, he, the best way to describe him would be a lower weight class, and, and this is not probably being too hyperbolic, but he's a lower weight class. Um, Alex Pereira held glory. Um, had, he held glory. Glory didn't hold two titles, but he held the glory title in kickboxing, which is the same promotion where Pereira was a double champ, uh, and he's 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 at that level uh, in terms of kickboxing. So. Um, it's definitely one the UFC missed out on by not getting him. Um, there's some kind of visa issues or something like that. I can't remember exactly what happened. And um, he was supposed to be on one of the Paris uh, cards a little while back. And then there was some issue. 
And then the PFL swooped in and chucked him a load more money, I think, because obviously it's well known that when you start in the UFC, you don't particularly get a lot of money. So I think he went for the money in the in the PFL. But yeah, real prospect. Um, it'd be interesting to see how it pans out. But yeah, nine seconds it took him to spark out his opponent. Let's be honest, the real draw was uh, being able to work in the same company as Jake Paul. It's everyone's dream, every fighter's dream. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly that exactly what it was. Maybe uh, the but... chance to go up uh, three weights and fight in Garnu for a two million guaranteed purse might be on his mind as well. Would you take two million to fight in Garnu? I wouldn't, but if I was him, I might. I think I'd take it. I feel like we've had this conversation before, but I definitely yeah, take two million dead, to get you, sparked. It's going to say you're going to get not get sparked. You're going to die. He's going to hit you with no. one punch and cave your whole face in. No, because he tried to punch me in the face. I dodge it because I'm very swift, and then I just let him hit me in ribs or some a few fractured ribs. That's well swift worth as it, you. Really. It's more like fucking Taylor Swift rather than fucking Engano Swift. It, you'd, he'd kill you. It, it'd be the first murder in cage and not worth the two million. It cost and then you more I'd be than famous. That. If you didn't die, it would cost you two million in reconstructive surgery on your face. I would have thought. <laughs> uh, the the fight night this weekend. Um, I mean, I'll be honest. I have absolutely nothing on this. It's Dawson versus Green. It's at the Apex in Vegas. It looks like a horrendous card. Yeah, it is. It literally might be the worst card they put together for literally years. Um, I mean, normally when we talk about fight cards that. At least there's one fight that holds it all together and is like, you know, watchable. Um, the main event is um, Grant Dawson versus Bobby Green. Uh, Bobby Green's always entertaining. He's a, um, a veteran of the game. He's been around the block, um, had some massive KOs and been KO'd a fair few times himself. He's taken on Grant Dawson, who is the number 10 ranked flyweight, but Bar from that, the only other person that remotely interests me, who I always like fighting because he's quite a flashy striker, is um, Joaquin Buckley. He's also on the card fighting Alex Morono. But apart from that, literally nothing else to say about it. It's quite weird that the UFC are continuing to do this, and we've highlighted this before, but the persistence of putting a fight night every week, every two weeks, uh, a minimum these days, there's a couple in the apex coming up, um, so this weekend, and then one on the 15th of, of October, which is Yusuf and Barboza. Then, obviously, you've got 294, which everyone's going to be very excited for. Everyone's going to be well up for watching uh, that. And then you've got another fight night, which is Blades and Almeida. Then it's 295, which, again, everyone's going to be well up for that. And then you've just got, like, a random fight night of, I think it's um, Paul Craig, is headlining that one, which again, it's not a headliner, is it? It's definitely just got a bit saturated, um, really. As you say, it's not back in the day when I first started watching it, and you might get a, a fight, you know, a card every couple of months. And, um, you know, it would be, even if it wasn't stacked, there'd be, you know, three fights you might want to watch. But yeah, the the quality of some of these cards, they've just because the roster's too big, so they've got to give some of these guys fights. Most of them in their contract have a guaranteed number of fights a year, which I think is two. So some of, sometimes they almost put these ones together. It's a bit like the analogy I'd make is, you know, how in the Premier League, there's like a rule that, is it say three teams, every team has to play like three times. So sometimes, yeah, Sky Sports. So sometimes you get these complete dog shit matches like, Nottingham Luton Forest, Burnley. Brentford, uh, is that, well, <laughs> Luton Burnley, classic example. Who the fuck wants to watch that? That gets two of the really shit teams in one go off that list. And, you know, in terms of they've only got to show them a couple more times. So it kind of feels it's that's the UFC equivalent of that, really. But, um, yeah, very, very poor card. Whenever you see the Apex these days, it's always, yeah, this is going to be a horrendous card. I don't remember the, the last good set of fights in apex which is it's weird because everyone associates vegas with your big headliners etc and then obviously as soon as you see when it comes uh through that it's the apex you're like no nah, it's it's one of these again and what one thing i, I know that uh, well, well i'll come on to this because it came up on, on that but um sugar sean your your favorite was on rogan uh this week and he was talking about how he hates fighting in the apex because it's a smaller cage i didn't realize quite how much it's 40 percent smaller than the cage at the at, in the other venues, so you're oh, talking 
if if you're a type of fighter that wants to fight at range and stay up close or stay away, use your range, you know, uh, an Adesanya, uh, somebody like that, it's almost impossible. You're in a tiny little cage that, so it, it very much suits grapplers and wrestlers. Um, but yeah, 40%, you know, nearly half. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Sorry, I, UFC? I was just, no, I was going to say, if I'm just looking a bit, a bit distracted, the teams have just come out for Liverpool against the mighty Union St. Gallies. And um, Jürgen's gone with quite a strong team. We'll come on to Liverpool. Just, you know, hold your asses on that. I'm sure you've got a lot to say about Liverpool this week. I've got uh, plenty. We could run the whole <laughs> podcast, but um, I can't wait. Is, Islam came out. I don't know if you saw this and basically said if he beats Oliveira, he wants a shot at the welterweight title. Once he's, uh, everybody wants to be a champ champ these days. And he's basically called out the winner of Edwards Covington, which is a headliner of 296. I think we talked about it last week. Came out in those uh, raft of announcements. Um, I mean, he's a pretty big lightweight anyway. Um, so I'm sure the weight wouldn't be too much of an issue from him and i tell you what it'd be a bad matchup for leon if leon does take uh covington as we hope um you know that smothering game that he's got would be very difficult matchup for edwards so i've got to be honest if it ended up as islam edwards um as much as islam maybe got exposed and that aura of invincibility got taken away by volk i'm not sure you can say edwards is is as good as volk um but that would be an interesting fight I mean, first of all, I don't think Islam wins. So we'll, we'll come on to that, I'm sure. Um, I'm going to go against the grain here. Have you noticed as well, there was a, a weird graphic that showed everyone on the right-hand side of the main cards um, on the, the numbered events had lot had won, sorry, so everyone on the right-hand side. And I thought, oh, that's that's really, really weird. That's really suspicious. And then I realised that the only reason they're on the right-hand side of the card is that the champion stands on the left. So it's not that it's a coincidence. It's just simply that people keep losing. And there, there was some weird coincidence, though, that I did see something like in the last six title fights, they'd all come from one of the corners. Where I can't remember whether it was the red or the blue corner. But, yeah, there was some silly stat that had come out recently as though whichever corner you're fighting of makes a difference as well, which is surely complete and utter nonsense. It is, but people are superstitious, aren't they? So I'm sure there'll be a lot of people who uh, will take a look. Oh, at no, I'm, I'm in the yeah. red corner. Fuck. I'm in, um, I'm in the red prime corner, not the blue prime corner. Oh, no. Um, but, uh, yeah, and the only other thing is uh, Sugar Sean was quite interesting on Rogan. Um, said he's currently recovering from, from uh, some back issues, so he hasn't been training for a while. From um, carrying so, the UFC? Uh, he was... Um, Obviously, he was keen saying to fight um, Vera on two nine six, but uh, given the lineups they've ma- they've made, he said he like you know wouldn't even be a co-main, and apparently the UFC want him to headline. And I did see I, I can't remember if this was either an official announcement or a highly likely, but that fight look, look, looks like it's going to be two nine seven, which is in January first card of the year, as in the main event or the co-main Ma- main. So that might be a time to put McGregor in. I know it'd be close to 300. Well, I know we've we've already discussed this in length, but that might be one that they throw McGregor in if he's not going to make this year's. What, one other interesting good. point that he, he made that shows, I suppose, his evolution from what he looks like as a little dweeby computer gaming pothead to UFC ascent and champion, as uh, he was talking about it, is looking at it from, from the business perspective. And um, what he was saying is, which is to say, I known before but not heard it I suppose articulated in this way which made a lot of sense is the UFC often can be reluctant to put more than one title fight on a card because if it's a pay-per-view the champion gets a percentage point of the the pay-per-view buys so uh, he, he made the point that you know 295 is absolutely massive the only person who's getting any percentage cut on that is John Jones because he's the champion the other yeah. the co the co-main is for the vacant title. So neither of them are title holders. So neither of them are getting any pay-per-view points. So he was saying that he thinks that the UFC want to put him on a card where he'll be the main event and the only champ fighting so that he's the only person that gets pay-per-view points, which I thought was probably actually true and probably quite an astute point from, from Sean. 
Leon Edwards absolutely fuming then that Pantoja is the uh, current main event in uh, two weeks. It doesn't. It doesn't affect. It does not necessarily because it doesn't affect it like that. It's not like they 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 get points of it, so they, it's not like they share it. They still get that. It just costs the UFC more money. But if so, the more champions ah, they have, right, the more okay. it costs them. It's not like there's a a pool and then it's shared. But uh, that will they'll have to pay out more on that because there are two champions fighting. So we're saying inevitably on uh, three hundred where there's about three or four title fights, they'll be shelling out an absolute shit ton of money then? Uh, they will be, but equally, they'll be getting a shit ton of money because they'll probably jack the price up another fucking $10 for the for the <laughs> pay-per-view. Um, it, they'll stack it with a card that it'll get, you know, potentially record buys. So they probably, again, you know, get that more than back. But um, yeah, I just thought it was a, an interesting and pretty astute point from uh, from Sean. Go on then. I'll let you. I'll let you get started because I can Out. tell that you're absolutely itchy. <laughs> Outrageous. It, I mean, where do we start? Where do we start? I, I tell you, before you do start, I've seen your notes for this, and I'm already itching to cut in and cause a little bit of an argument here. So I'll, I'll let you go in free flow, and then I'll have a good laugh at the end. But I mean, sit in the game. Talk. We we'll talk about the game before the nonsense. So Liverpool played quite well. There's the ridiculous VAR call where we're watching it and we're like, that's clearly onside. Like what, you know, it's onside, it's called offside. Two minutes later, Spurs go up the other end and then uh, score. Um, You then get the red card for uh, Curtis Jones, which on the face of it, the still in particular looks bad. And you would say, if you just saw that still, you might well give it as, um, uh, a red, but it was very, very hard for me because what it basically does, because it's they probably again these days they always kind of put water on the pitches. What's happened is he's come in, he's actually got the ball, and he's actually it's kind of studs have skidded over the top of the ball into the guy's leg. I feel that that was fucking super harsh. That I've seen way worse reds given than that. And of course, they var that it was a yellow, and then they go back to var for a red for that which was just fucking nonsense. Um, um, you've then got um, Adogi. Is that the correct pronouncement? I suppose, is he right or left back, fullback? Um, comes on, or already on a yellow card. Jota comes on, gets a yellow card for something, nothing. Um, then does a foul, supposedly, on this, and uh, Googie. He's on the floor, waving at the ref for a card, which is now... Since the start of the season, a yellow card offence. So that motherfucker should have got his second yellow and gone as well. And then Jota gets sent off and we're down to nine men. And then if it couldn't get any fucking worse than that, you've then got Joel Matip steps up in the last minute to score one of the best own goals you ever see. Just literally just a perfect storm of ridiculousness. And Let's address him in turn then, because... I will leave the, the VAR decision out for the offside goal till the end, because clearly that's the most contentious point. Wait, sorry, it's the least contentious point, but it's the, the most talked about point. The red card for, jo- for Curtis Jones is a red card all day long. So he slides in, he definitely stands on the ball, and that causes his foot to increase in, in height. The contact that he makes on, I can't remember which Spurs player it was, but the contacts he makes is far too high, it's on his shin, it's a red card. And the argument that you're making about standing on the ball, I completely understand it, and my dad actually agreed with you, um, so it's clearly a, an old man thing. But the reason that he is standing on the ball and his foot goes too high is because he's out of control. If he isn't out of control in that tackle, his foot would stay at the same height and would be absolutely fine and would be a yellow card. It might be a harsh red, but it's definitely a red card. The gesturing, so I've just Googled it because I, I don't actually think that I was sat with you when he was gesturing for the yellow card. I, think I don't think we actually point... saw it. I, I'll be honest, I don't remember seeing it in the match. It was only after the match when I was reading about the controversy of it that I saw. And he's just laid, literally laid on the floor just doing that. Just I can see it, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I'm it's... reading the Daily Star, which is obviously the best place for, for news. And he does, he, he makes the gesture. And arguably... He's lucky to get away with that misdemeanor. But how many times do you see it, and how many times do you actually see a yellow card? Yeah, but that's this. It's only come in this season. It used to be the case, and I would agree with you that this season they're supposedly taking 
a far tighter line on it. And I feel like when both of Jota's yellow cards were, you know, again, pretty harsh, even if I can slightly give in to you and say, all right, Curtis is more of the case. Jota for those two. I mean, that's fucking ridiculous to get a red card for those two yellow cards. But then to rub it in that guy there doing that, um, Jotters Matt... were yellow cards. There, there can't be any arguments about them. They're just silly things to do when you're in the position that you're in, where you, like you say, you've done so well to get back into the game, holding on. I think if anything, you've got more of a point over the Curtis Jones one than you of the Jotters. They're, they're quite clearly both silly yellow cards. It's, it's about the consistency for me, as you say, because the it could have been a completely different game if the goal had gone in first for us, anyway, because it gives us something to cling on to. Also, if they'd then gone down to 10 men when we're down to nine, that might have had an impact in the same way. Um, I mean, the thing that um, is the most frustrating for me is it might it's the worst refereeing decision I think I've ever seen, the worst refereeing performance ever. And they'll just get away with it. In any, If you put in a performance that bad in any other job, you'd be fired. And I fucking want those cunts' heads on pikes and I won't be satisfied until they're fucking they're sacked. You should be sacked from their job. They're clearly completely incapable of, dist- of doing their job. And it's made even worse by when the audio comes out. So the audio comes out and they say, it's a goal. Ah, oh, sorry, it's too late. We've restarted the game. It's got to stand. What, so the just fu- to- what kind of fucking world are we living in in this game since VAR came in? It's fucking I mean, ridiculous. It's definitely not the worst refereeing decision of all time. The worst refereeing decision of all time, as a Leeds fan, is the 1975 European Cup final by Michelle, I think it was Kitta Bajin or something like that, who had actually been paid off to cheat to give Bayern Munich the uh, the European Cup. I didn't so, say worst uh, referee, and I said worst VAR decision ever. You said Got worst official, didn't you? Worst officiating of all time. It, it, it's certain that that's up there, but I said what I meant was this: the worst VAR decision ever, and I've, I've got even depending on how much detail we want to go to. I found an article of the 10 worst VAR decisions ever, this comes top. I'm looking at this, and they've, they've put it at the top. I mean, it's one football, so it's not the most reliable. But this is one of many... I mean, we can talk about VAR all day long because we both pretty much agree with the fact that it's not implemented properly. The idea and the theory behind it is spot on. The implementation and the execution is awful. And the, the Champions League VAR, especially for the offsides, is significantly better. Uh, for whatever reason, that seems to work and it's automated, but it hasn't been brought in by the Premier League as of yet. But I'm just looking here. Every VAR apology listed. Um, you've been involved in two of them now. So Tottenham, obviously Liverpool is the most recent one. You were also involved in one on the 29th of January 2023, where Fabinho nearly broke Evan Ferguson's legs and got off with a yellow card. And apparently they came out and issued a, an apology for that. Uh, there's a few more, obviously the Man City Everton one, where Rodri just basically blatantly handballs it in the the penalty Don't you area. Think they just, uh, I, I I saw the same list that you have, and it's quite substantive how many times they've had to issue apologies on it, and but they've what, got it wrong. That, yeah. It, not only that, that just rubs it in for me because it's yeah, yeah, we we got it wrong, but gutted, you lost three points. Like it, there's no repercussions to them getting it wrong. And a, a, a side note, which as much as I'm a Liverpool fan and as much as strongly I feel, Jürgen's obviously come out this week and said the game should re- be replayed. Now, given the egregiousness of the refereeing, every part of me as a Liverpool fan says, yeah, that should happen. But I've got to be honest, as a football fan, you can't probably ever do that because it just sets such a precedent of how many times they fuck up, how many games are then going to be replayed. So there's no chance I can ever see that happening. Um, but I think it's one of those, when it, when it's that bad, that what does an apology do? An apology gives you not, all right, yeah, you've lost your unbeaten record. You, you, you know, you lost a game that might have gone completely different had we not made several errors. And I, just, I feel like the apology just makes it even worse. I still don't think it's one error. I don't think there's any more, and that's it's just the the, the offside. It's quite a big error, um, and the footage of them talking about it is actually quite confusing because it seems like the VAR themselves all agree that it's a goal, 
And I don't they understand do. how, it, how, how it gets to them saying, yeah, we've checked it, that's fine. That's, and then they just kick off. And yeah, I don't understand exactly. that. But that, that, that's what I'm saying. That's what's so infuriating is that they sort of normally, considering the gap, you know, we've seen tiny decisions take five or 10 minutes to be reviewed. And that's the reason they've given is that because they were all in agreement, it was a goal and the, the error was the way that it was communicated to the ref or something like that. And if it hadn't have kicked off, then it would have been given. But the reason so they who, say that... who's at fault for you? All of them. The whole fucking, the whole fucking VAR process is just beyond the joke. It's just, when are they going to say, look, this is creating more problems than it's solved. Let's just get rid of it. VAR will never go now. It's at the point where it's been implemented for so long, even if it's incorrectly implemented, that they won't remove it. So the sooner that they sort out these types of kinks, the better, obviously, for everyone involved. And like I said, the Champions League offside, I don't remember there being any issues with that and this automated offside that they do. Obviously, it doesn't involve any human error because it's all automated. So why not just bring that in? Yeah, I mean, again, can't disagree with you, but yeah, I've just been raging about it all week (laughs) and it's just... Just, just to say, it's just ridiculous, and as I say, just fucking completely ruined. Put the, the 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 downer on what was a decent performance from Liverpool as well. You know, as I say, until the, you know, even nine men against eleven, Liverpool, I would argue, deserves something out of the game. Uh, and I think Spurs can thank himself lucky that Matt decided to fucking drop a clanger, just blast the ball into the top corner. I mean, what the Cracking fuck is going? What he's trying to stop there with like Ian Dowie to the best ever own goal I've ever seen. Like it's like what on earth. Yeah. We just diving headers it into the top <laughs> corner. Like that's always been the, the the marker of the best ever own goal uh, for West Ham. I think it was when he was playing, but I was just like, what, what, what he, the, 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 the pace that he did, it's like a striker's finish. Yeah, like most strikers they literally bang top corner. If Patrick Bamford did that, you'd be fucking outstanding. You'd be like, what the fuck happened to Patrick Bamford? He's never finished a goal like that in his say, life. Patrick Bamford won't ever do that. Let, let's let's not go too beyond the realms of possibility. But yeah, it, it's definitely a big error. And obviously there's been a lot of talk about it, which is it's a really strange for me because, and without going on too much of a tangent, it's not even the worst VAR decision of the weekend. And I don't know if you saw the Brentford um, Forest game and the penalty that wasn't given there, where the keeper literally just swipes, I think it was Wizow or Wizow's legs, and he literally doesn't touch the ball. And if you haven't seen a replay of that, I'll send it across to you after this. But it just boots him, it goes flying. It's one of the most obvious fouls you'll ever see, and they just play on, which is no, so strange. I haven't seen it, I've got to be honest, but um, yeah, you're going to struggle to convince me it's a worse decision than oh, I'm telling you. not allowing that goal. I'll show you it. It's basically, he goes and just boots him. The, the keeper makes an absolute hash of it and he kicks him when the ball's nowhere near it, either of them and then just nothing is given and they just play on. But yeah, we digress because I feel like if we keep talking about this, you'll probably have an aneurysm and... Uh, Blow my brains out. Yeah. <laughs> In more positive news, at least City didn't win for you. Um, so keeping... They did, yeah. So, I yeah, mean, so that was a bit of a shock, wasn't it? Uh, Wolves turning up and... Um... Sort of, uh, yeah, that was definitely a shock. They got themselves back in the game and then Wolves uh, won it. But, I mean, again, if there was ever uh, anything that could make me feel slightly better, it's the continued and ultimate decline of Man United. So, what what a, what a fantastic week for them. Um, losing again uh, at the weekend and then losing in the, as you described it, the most hated Leeds uh, derby ever of Man U Galatasaray. Uh, they lose that in the Champions League as well. The only time I think I'd ever actively campaign for Manchester United to win a game, and they do that. But yeah, I, we spoke about it last week and we spoke about Ten Hag and where he goes from the, the position that he's in. We also spoke about how long Pochettino would get, who is in a, a similar position um, slightly as, as Manchester United and as Ten Hag because of the fact that they're clearly going underestimations of what the club would expect and certainly as what the fans would expect. But I, I don't see this getting turned around. The, the performances they're putting in, it's not just that they're getting beaten, they're getting played off the park, they're getting outclassed, they're getting embarrassed, to be frank. And the, there's a team, obviously Galatasaray aren't the worst team in, in world football, but they should be winning that game. Certainly at home, at Old Trafford, 
if you ever go to Old Trafford in the olden days, or certainly ten, you know, years ago at, at the, the push, you expect a really difficult game, yeah. but it just doesn't work like that these days. I mean, I don't, I, I didn't watch the match, and I know there was a red card, um, so I don't know, how, but how much that uh, it was definitely into red it. as well. Yeah, Casemiro. Um, I hear that. Um, uh, Anana's uh, issues continue with him doing more clangers. Um, just as you say, was an outstanding keeper at Ajax and um, uh, Inter, and he just looks like a an absolute joker. But I think I read, man, you have lost six of their opening ten games, which has never happened, hasn't happened for the last thirty seven years. So Ten Hag is very, very lucky, I'd say, at the moment to keep his job. The only thing, again, I didn't see the game, so I don't know, but I, I did see and, and read a bit of praising about Hoyland and saying that he had a really good game and he was the only bright spark uh, in, in that match for them, that two really well-taken goals and and looks like he could be a real player. Yeah, and there are some mitigating factors, I suppose. Obviously, you had the whole thing with Mason Greenwood at the start of the season, which would prove to be a little bit of a distraction um, for the, the football inside of things, of course. There's been issues with Sancho, which haven't really been cleared up. It looks like he's going to be on his way out. Certain players aren't necessarily in form. Obviously, Onana dropping quite a few clangers. You can't really legislate for that as a manager. But there's there's just something about that club. And even as a Leeds fan, I should take great delight in it. And I'm not exactly sad about the fact that they keep losing and, and keep encountering these ridiculous results. But you know, Manchester United losing at home to Crystal Palace and not really looking like they're going to get anything from the game. Manchester United getting played off the park by Galatasaray. Poor discipline, poor goalkeeping, poor everything, really. I don't understand how Ten Hag pulls it around, personally. I think this inevitably results in a sacking by January. If, if, he, if he's given that long, yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, I mean, if we give a quick rundown in the Champions League, so obviously we've had the return of that this week. Um, so Tuesday... Few few sort of pickouts from me was um, Braga pulled off a, a shock three uh, three two win away at Union Berlin gone two 0 down pulled it back to uh, and won it. Um, Did you see who came on late for Union Berlin and missed is that? An the surf? fantastic and outstanding American star from on loan from Leeds. It is indeed. Brendan Harrison comes on. I think he played eight minutes. In that eight minutes, he missed. And I'm not kidding when I say a sitter. Cross comes in goes to edit, all it has to do is let it hit him and he doesn't, he misses an open goal and then they go and score and that's is it the second late loss that Union Berlin have suffered in the Champions League this season? I yeah, think, um, I, mean, they, I mean again, it's, it's their debut um, they've um, you know, the first time I think in the Champions League, I mean at home to Braga you would have at least expected them to get something out of the game, particularly 2-0 up, you've got to be disappointed with that uh, and particularly when they've got Benucci at the back in terms of defending uh, as well, that one will uh, have definitely stung a little bit. But um, Bayern, rather surprisingly, needed two late goals to, to see off Copenhagen. Copenhagen scored relatively early on and were, were leading for quite a while. And uh, Bayern got a couple of goals, um, I think from the 75th minute, something like that, a couple of goals towards the end to, to, to win it. Um, one of the most, probably the, the, the most shocking um, result of the of the season was, uh, or of the of the night anyway, maybe of the Champions League so far, was Arsenal losing to Lons, who are currently fifteenth in League One. Is it a bad result though, or is it a surprising result? Because Lons's home form is absolutely outstanding. Um, so the 50, last the... season they were very good. I think you're right if you're talking about last season, and obviously they got into Europe based on that. But they've had a shocking start to the season. I say they're in fifteenth in the league, um, and and they've been really struggling at the start of the season. So um, it, particularly the way Arsenal have been playing as well, you know, beating PSV four nil. Um, you know, you think they would have had enough to get at least a result out of that. So I, I would say that was definitely um, a, a shocking result. Um, I like their they, manager as well. Is it is it Frank Heis? Frank Heis. Um, I feel like he's destined for for big and better things, and I think they've got is it um, Forest sole goalkeeper is at Lons as well, Bryce Samba. He is indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, Weird one. They've got that guy as well up front. I think haven't they that you guys tried to buy from PSG and he turned you down. 
Kulamundo, Kulamando, something like that. Yeah, the young kid who yeah, young French was striker. destined for big things and seems to have gone off the boil a little bit. Got a few goals last season. I think he got 10, 12, 13 goals last season. So I don't think he had a terrible uh, start that season. But um, final one I've got on there, and I mean, again, the, just turned himself into a monster, is Real Madrid beat Napoli 3-2 away. Napoli are struggling this season, given they're the champions last season. Didn't really, haven't really sold anyone of note apart from um, Kim James. Kim uh, at the back, obviously he's gone to Bayern, who was instrumental in their win, but they kept Osserman, they kept Kravadona, they kept, they kept their midfield, uh, Zielinski, uh, Lebotka, uh, and they lost. Uh, Jude was on the score sheet again, uh, and I had a quick look. Six goals and two assists in seven league games for him in Spain. Two goals and assist in two Champions League games from a midfielder at 20. Yeah, he's, he's outstanding. I just had to check, just going back to that, Kulimenda, I think went to, um, is it Stadion Renes or however you pronounce it, rather than um, Lens, but um, yeah, Bellingham. Uh, my bad, that's who I'm thinking but, of. Lon sold their best, they sold that Appenda, didn't they? They had him Who Leeds season, did want, yeah. And uh, Appenda went to Leipzig. Leipzig. Uh, Scored, didn't big... he, against City? Uh, he did need uh, 32-odd million they made of, of, of him. But, yeah, Jude is just looking. I think he's playing in a more advanced role from from looking at uh, some of the game, the, uh, some of the highlights I saw and the formation uh, I usually have a look at when they play. Seems to be playing kind of behind the front two. So he's been pushed forward a little bit more, which is maybe why he's, you know, exploded with the, the amount of goals that he has compared to, to what he normally has, playing in a more advanced position. But... Um, in, in, you know, what a start to um, his, his, his Real Madrid career. Have you seen that Southgate's uh, not included him in England squad? Has he? <laughs> you would, he should you be, wouldn't be surprised if I said that. that yeah, he's... that might. Do you know what? That that might that might that's on the same. Who, who, who's, who's the England manager? The fucking VAR manager of fucking the Liverpool match. No, uh, it's I mean, definitely it's, included. It's first name on the team sheet, him and Kane, aren't they? By a mile, yeah, but... easily. The, the form that he is in, he is. Probably the best young player in world football at this moment in time. Easily. I think it would be very, very hard for anyone to argue that, uh, to be honest with you. But um, moving on to Wednesday, um, I saw, I started watching a bit of this match. I saw Antwerp go 2 0 up at home to Shakhtar uh, and then lose 3 2 in another one of these two, uh, go at home 2 0 with a loss with a 97th minute penalty to oh. uh, Shakhtar. So, I mean, that's a real kicker in the teeth that one um so the belgian champions losing most surprising uh result um of the the game um that night maybe you could argue is more surprising than the, the arsenal is um newcastle smashing psg 4-1 and psg what the fuck are they doing i'll be honest it's one of those where i watched that with unbelievable jealousy because that's exactly what I would always want. My and obviously, last time Leeds were in Champions League were back in um, turn of the century, but really happy for him, to be honest. It, jealousy, yes, but happy to see. You look at the fans and stuff, and some of those have obviously been through Mike Ashley era and very, very difficult times for them. To see not just Champions League football return to St. James's, but to see them absolutely decimate one of the, you know, it's not so much now, I suppose, but one of the European heavyweights of the last few years. Obviously, their team's been dismantled a little bit, but more power to them. Must have I been totally agree. And, uh, and I was just going to say on that on that point, um, I think PSG, you can't even put them in that category of, of heavyweights now. Obviously, when they had that front three of Mbappe, Neymar and uh, Messi, they were, were different class. Obviously, ne- Messi and Neymar have gone. Uh, Kind of looked to replace him with uh, Kolo Mawani, who I, I really rate. He's a decent player. But some of the signings they've made are just such a lower quality than they had. And um, I feel like the, the, they, their owners must feel the opposite to Newcastle's, where they've ploughed a load of money in and they've seen this great progression and progress. Whereas um, PSG had that to start with and they had, you know, Ibrahimovic, Cavani at their peak, smashing goals in, smashing titles. And they just seem to be on the slide. And I hate to imagine how bad they'd be if you took Mbappe out of that team. 
I wonder if we're on the verge of when Mbappe inevitably goes to Madrid next summer or summer after. I wonder if you're about to see is it Al Khalifa is the owner. I wonder if he sells up and I wonder if he goes elsewhere and looks for someone else. Maybe a Premier League team. Wouldn't surprise you. I mean, as you say, obviously they put in all that money. They had a very clear objective, which was we want some European glory. Yeah. I feel like that window has passed over the last two or three years when they had that team of, of superstars and, and players at their, you know, uh, not far off their peak where they, they, they could and should have done probably better than they did do. But um, yeah, they, uh, to call them, I don't think you can put them in that category of a heavy European heavyweight these days. Um, City left it late to pinch uh, a 3-1 victory away to Le- Leipzig, which is a good result because Leipzig are no joke and doing well in, in the Bundesliga. Yeah, I mean, this result has actually pushed me into doing the unthinkable and I have removed Haaland from my fantasy team. I mean, let's say that was the biggest shock for me was that he didn't score, but uh, he seems to have gone on a slight sort of barren patch, and not he? Showing that he is human after all. Um, but a goal from, from your man, uh, Doku. I see he got the third uh, and Really classic goal. finish as well. Yeah, one of those ways he's, he's got a score. I think he's just knocked over um, top and then, I'm not sorry, just at side in front of him. And then he's through on goal, one-on-one, and it's last minute and he just slots it home. But yeah, really good take and finish. Um, Alvarez is is the one for me. He looks very much in form. Obviously, playing without any care in world, he doesn't have any pressure realistically, does he, in, in terms of his position because everyone expects Haaland to be scoring. Everyone expects the pressure to be on Haaland. So. He's been kind of given that slightly, you know, he's a striker by default, but he's been kind of given that behind the striker role that kind of De Bruyne, De Bruyne, you know, he's very much the beneficiary of De Bruyne's injury, isn't he? That he's been the man that's come in. But um, I don't think you could argue that he's taken his his chance with both hands. And as you say, just prove, I mean, we we talked about him long before, um, City signed him that he was looking a real prospect playing for River Plate and it was only a matter of time before someone snapped him up and they were going to get a really good player um, it's just a shame that it ended up at City really but yeah <laughs> um, just to go with the rest of the world class players they've got um, and then finally last one for me I'm in Barca sneak a 1-0 win uh, over Porto um, d- down to 10 men as well I had Gavi sent off in the last minute for them so we'll miss the next match but again another team that Decent on paper, but nowhere near what they used to be. You know, Real Madrid are coming into their own and building that team and getting better and better. And I feel like Barca are, you know, still a very, very good team, but they're nothing that they used to be five, six, seven years ago. You know, the back in the MSN days and the midfield they had with Busquets, Xavi, Iniesta, you know, they're, they're a long way off that now. Yeah, I mean, they're still un- the only unbeaten team in La Liga. So they're not doing too badly. They've obviously got two draws and six wins, whereas Madrid have won seven games. So Madrid are a point above them. Um, Girona, I think I saw, were third, which were a weird thing to see because they seem to have just risen to the top very, very swiftly. And again, it's always good to see some new blood there. Maybe we'll get Girona in Champions League next season. Aren't they owned by the City guys, Girona? Because uh, they said, again, they're another team that uh, farm out a few of um, their younger prospects to. Uh... Uh, City over to Girona, aren't they included in that group that uh, you know involves City group or something silly uh, like that? Yeah, so it's it's, it's them. Yeah, they are. City, they are. Yeah. It's um, Red Bulls in it. Um, not Red, uh, New York. Is it New York? Whatever they're called. Um, no they're in it. Um, they're they're in in the group as well. Uh, uh, they're in their group as well, and I think they've got an Australian team as well. But yeah, they they're, they're quite shrewd, um, Girona, and they pick up a few good younger signings off um, City. And there's a few players that have never quite made the grade at City that have ended up there. There, uh, Pablo Maffeo, right back, ended up there. Um, a very highly weighted, I think he was like Ecuadorian guy called um, Yangel Herrera from City. Uh, is at Girona, uh, went on loan there and stayed there. So um, they definitely benefit from that relationship with City. I didn't realise how many clubs that they do, actually. Oh, I'm just looking through here. So obviously they've got City, they've got Melbourne, they've got Mumbai, New York City, like you say, Montevideo City, Troyes, Lommel, Girona's 47%, Sichuan Ginuan, Yokohama Marinos, Palermo, 
I don't didn't realise that. Yeah. Didn't, didn't I? Knew, I did know about the Japanese team, uh, Yokohama. I didn't know about uh, Palermo. Yeah, but, I mean weird. Palermo, Palermo. I mean, it's funny that they haven't tried to get a little bit of push on them because I think they're languishing. If they're not in, they're certainly in Serie B, not if, if not Serie C. No, nowhere close to Serie A. So that's a surprising one. They haven't sent a few players out on loan there, uh, and of course they they do a lot of this sort of inter club movement, a bit like the team the group that own um, Watford, Udinese, Udinese they, they they do a lot of that. And I know Girona up front is getting a lot of plaudits at the moment. Again, another guy we've talked about because Leeds was linked with him is Castellanos. was banging him in for New York um, in the MLS and Girona have got him up front. And he's last season, he got something, you know, 14, 15 goals. And he's had a really positive start to the season as well. Start with this weekend's boxing, or last weekend's boxing, should I say then. Um, we called it pretty much spot on. Again, it's getting boring being right all the time, but Canelo just destroyed Charlo. There was no real competition there and pretty straightforward win for him. Just one of those ones for me that it just proves to you why there's weight classes and you can't go up two weight classes and think you can fight one of the best in the world. You know, 14 two, to each weight class at that stage is, is seven pounds. So that's a fourteen pounds he's given up. That's a stone. We know Canelo is a massive um, super middleweight, so he cuts loads. The different. I'd love to have known the difference on fight night between and what they weighed. Like he's probably talking stone, stone and a half, and that kind of difference. You know that that's what. You, why? Why? That's why you've got weight classes. You know, otherwise you just, you know, put you in against Francis Ngannou, don't you? And see what happens, you know. like what was... I'd win. <laughs> um, but, the, I mean, the most disappointing thing for me really was I didn't even feel like Charlo went for it, like he was trying to win. It looked like from the very outset, he didn't want to get knocked out and lose. He, he just looked like he was in survival mode from the, the opening bell. He, he just didn't seem to even have any desire to try and win that fight at all if you uh, if you ask me it just looked like he wanted to survive get a good payday and like we said there's no real downside for him because he, he's, he's still undisputed at his weights when he goes back down um and he's got a fat payday but a loss, a loss on his record i mean you turned around to me when we were on his way to uh scabados and you said did i know that he has a, a twin brother or a brother called Jamal, and obviously this is Jamel. Uh, he is a boxer. I did. I looked this up. Uh, he is a boxer indeed. He is at super welterweight, so obviously closer, and he's actually called out Canelo. <laughs> so he's basically called him out and said, uh, yeah, all of my brother's kids have been bullied at school because you've beaten him up, so now I'm going to put this right and I'm going to beat you up. And I'm a, I would say if it's super welter, that makes him, doesn't that make him a weight actually below Charlo? So he'd be giving up even more weight. He's also, a, he's got three of the world titles. So it shows how little we know, but he's got the IBF, WBA and WBC. Um, so. Can, Canelo Baval for me, or, uh, you know, again, if, if Canelo wants to do this bouncing around weights and prove how good he really is and go down as an all-time great, He's got to try and uh, avenge Bival, uh, the defeat there, which I'm not sure he can do. And if he was being really brave, which I'm not sure he, he is that or stupid, you'd say, you'd say Bertabiev is the one. But um, uh, uh, he's talked a few more times about Bival and wanting to avenge it. But I wonder if um, he really means it because it was pretty clinical, wasn't it, really? Looking here, I might have got this absolutely horrendously wrong. This is this is the problem with naming your kids with one with an exactly the same name but one difference. So is it Jarmel and Jarmel? Jarmel and Jarmel. So Jarmel is the one that fought him. Jamal isn't super well to work. Obviously, that's what we just fought. That was the person who just been beaten. Jamal is undefeated, thirty-two uh, wins and zero uh, losses. He's a middleweight. So that makes more sense. Okay, so he's 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 a weight in between the two, so he'd only be going up yeah. one weight to, to to super middle. So that does make more sense. But they don't get on because that was how it came to to fruition that I knew about the, the brother that I wasn't aware of is that they both apparently hate each other. <laughs> well, they should fight each other. 
That's what you get um, for having so similar names. Ridiculous. Just um, on an interesting, just again, totally off topic here, just because I've got it on in the on. background. Um, so obviously Brighton were make again second game in um it was two nil down one though. Not only have they pulled it back to two one, they now have a penalty. Oh, interesting. So they are just about to take a penalty in the eighty-seventh minute to get a potential draw at Marseille. Yao Pedro stepping up now, scores two all. <laughs> Come back. I mean, um, so before we go on to uh, this weekend's fights, we've just got a little bit of a little bit of breaking news here for you. Again, tapping up uh, as we always tend to do. Uh, I mean, it's not breaking when people listen to this, obviously, by the time it goes out, which will be tomorrow. But it says the IBF have now sent a letter to both Fury and Usyk, confirming that the winner of their undisputed heavy world, uh, heavyweight world title fight will automatically be ordered to defend against the mandatory challenger for the IBF. And who's that? Big Bang Zhang. It's not because he's, I think he's WBA. Uh, the mandatory challenger is Philip Hergovic. Oh my And there's God. no exceptions allowed. So it says if Fury and Usyk rematch as expected, Hergovic will then be ordered to face the next available to contender in the rankings for the vacant IBF world title, which would be... Big Bang Zhang? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> Anthony Joshua. So right, you okay. could have potentially Hergovic versus Joshua. The winner then fights for the undisputed title, which might potentially be Usyk again. So I don't know if Joshua would want that fight, I'll be honest. Or if he does have that fight, I, I think it feels like maybe the last of his career if it gets to that stage. But uh, interesting point. Um, I wanted to mention this weekend's fight. It's not necessarily at the top of everyone's uh, wish list. Because I'm a Leeds fan, it's quite high up on mine. Josh Warren and gets another crack at the featherweight title of the world. Uh, I think it's the IBF, but I'm not entirely sure. I'll be quite honest. Um, he's fighting Lee Wood. So big... Um, Nottingham Forest fan versus a big Leeds fan meeting in the middle, fighting in Sheffield, which I'm not entirely sure why they're not doing it at uh, Lee Woods choosing. I don't know if there's a game on this weekend for Forest and there's just not enough time to set it up or something like that. But this for me is probably one of the closest 50-50 fights I've seen at Featherweight for quite a while. And a lot of people will write off Josh Warrington because obviously he suffered two defeats in his last three fights. Um, got sparked out by Lara and then lost against uh, Luis Alberto on points uh, in his last fight out and, and obviously lost the title. Um, obviously, Lara sparked out Lee Wood as well. And then Lee Wood, a lot of people thought, right, that's it. He's going to get sparked out again when he rematches him. Uh, a lot of people expected that his career was coming to a conclusion, a little bit like Warrington's. But then Wood was absolutely superb in that second meeting with Lara showed that he stuck to the game plan. Lara didn't really have a clue what to do. And then Lara suffered his first loss and a comprehensive victory. So I, I don't know on this one. I really don't. I know who I want to win. Obviously, as the Leeds fan, I'd want Warrington to win. And it'd be nice to see him get one more title and then potentially go on like a final run of his career. Just, I don't know. I feel like Wood probably has the advantage as the champion going into this. Yeah, and I, th- I think Warrington just over the last few years, whether it's father time that catches up with us all, whether it's, you know, the a mental thing, you know, um, obviously we were at both at the match that was halted because of the headbutt. Um, is that the first or the second fight? It was um, the rematch, wasn't it? Rematch. Uh, the second one, yeah, the draw um, with the but, head clash. Um, I, I just, he, he just doesn't seem the same fighter. Uh, I don't know. He, he's been in a few wars and as you say, I don't know if that's just kind of come into play. But, um, yeah, I'd be siding with Wood, I think, if I had to. But you're right, it's, it's, it's a pretty close uh, fight for me. I don't think there's a – you could say there's a, certainly a, a clear favourite. But um, I'd give the the edge to Wood, I would say. It was strange because, like you say, he, it, I mean, the, the fight against Lee Selby and, and Cal Frampton will go down in, in history as um, some of the best featherweight fights I've, I've ever seen and one of the best featherweight performances I've ever seen certainly against Lee Selby because he, he surprised everyone I think everyone thought Lee Selby were going to spark him and obviously he 
absolutely battered him. I think it was a split decision, but I'm pretty sure it should have been a unanimous decision. Cal Frampton, same as well, uh, unanimous decision. I think that was in Manchester, but he had obviously his, his big contingent at Cal Frampton at that time, and Frampton retired shortly after. There was the controversy with the Kid Galahad fight after that, where, again, I thought weren't and won comprehensively. Uh, Kid Galahad did very little, but people thought Kid Galahad should have won. And then as soon as we got to, I think it was one more fight in between that, but as soon as we got to COVID, he dropped the IBF featherweight title, which I think was due to the advice of Eddie Hearn, good old knowledgeable Eddie Hearn, because he wanted the ring title. And apparently that's obviously the most prestigious one, two boxers. Drops the title, goes to then fight and tried to get his rankings up against a fairly unknown Mauricio Lara at that point and gets destroyed. It was really awful to watch. Put him down in the fourth. Then obviously fight got stopped at ninth. I'm pretty sure he broke his jaw as well. Um, the rematch didn't go anywhere near as well as we wanted it to be. Kiko Martinez was the comeback and but you know, I took him out of the game, uh, TKO'd him, looked the better fighter there. But then we say, obviously, Luis Alberto Lopez, majority decision loss. And then he's got another world title fight against Lee Wood, who is very much on the rise. Um, and I think that Lee Wood is probably in his last stint as well. So I feel like this is a big fight for both fighters because whoever loses, I don't think they'll ever get a world title fight again. Yeah, I think 100% for... For, for Warrington, I think his his career realistically at the highest level is done. It's whether he carries on and what you don't want to see with boxers is those boxers that just kind of carry on too long, been in too many wars, they take a load more damage. You know, no one really wants to see that. And ultimately, I think if, you know, you'd like to hope that if he realises he's not quite at his peak any longer, then why carry on to some degree? You know, he's, he's a world champion. You know, he's a former world champion, I should say. He, he, you know, he's been it. I'm sure he defended it a couple of times. So there's no, certainly no shame if he called it a day in terms of his career. He can certainly be proud of himself, um, uh, of his achievements in the ring. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. And he has made his city proud in the the victories that he's got and the, the fights that he's had. And as I say, the Lee Selby and the Cal Frampton fights will go down in history in Leeds, certainly for some of the best featherweight. Boxers. I think he came out and said, you know, some of the, you know, not only is he a world champion, but he he achieved some of the things that like who wouldn't want to eat fought Ellen Road. I yeah. mean, who you know, hometown lad who wouldn't want to fight at Ellen Road? He's fought at Headingley, uh, obviously another uh, not quite as big, but another very prestigious stadium uh, in in the city. Um, so yeah, I, I certainly think that if he's more conscious of his health. Um, you know, and again, there's plenty of options for for fighters these days. Whether he goes into training, whether he goes into the media, there's there's so many different sort of promotions in terms of Sky Sports, TNT. There's there's you know, he can't be any worse than some of the clowns like Carl Froch, for example, or some of these unheard of fighters that they seem to get on BT or TNT, as it's now called, that you've never heard of. So there's still plenty of options for him. You would think in um, you know, after his career. And um, I would guess that he's not making super paydays with these. You know, he's, I'm sure he's getting paid for this fight, but if he loses after this, then where does he go? Then he's putting on his body on the line, he's putting his training camp, he's putting his health at risk. And it's not for, for million pound pain days like the, the big boys at heavyweight, is it? Yeah, I mean, the, the reason that I think he's been pushed in his career, to be honest, is due to the significant fan base and anyone with a a football club fan base that they can take with them. And again, similar to Cal Frampton in that he, he took the Ulster boys with him and, and et cetera, et cetera. Lee Selby was a little bit like that with the Welsh lads. So you can understand why he's been kept at this level for such a significant amount of time. If he does lose, I agree. I'd, I'd like to see him just relax, just give it up, find something else to do. I think he'd be quite good as a pundit. I think he's quite knowledgeable in some of the things he says, some of the, the times he's been on, you know, Leeds United and stuff. But... I mean, you see the involvement of, of of a lot of them. I remember watching Macklin to start with when he ended his career and it was a bit like, have you ever been in front of a camera before or talked talked <laughs> it publicly? He looked like, he's, I think he's one of the best uh, sort of column commentators now, Macklin. I think he does a very good job. So, uh, and I'm sure people would probably make a, an equal point of us that if you listen back to episode one or two when we're recording this on an iPad, sat two feet apart, not really knowing what we're talking or, or you know, no flow to what we're talking about, 
you know, we've probably got infinitely better 58 episodes in um, than someone like him. Um, I mean, he could do a boxing podcast. I mean, I don't think there is a boxing podcast that I'm aware of apart from Mike Tyson's hot boxing. And that seems to be more about uh, Iron Mike smoking a load of weed with guests rather than discussing boxing. So, um, you know, again, there's, 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 there's options there for him. And certainly as a, a Leeds lad, you know, there's, there's plenty of, um, I know former people that I'd say were less famous than him that have nice sort of ambassador, like former Rhinos players. You see a lot of them have kind of ambassadorial jobs for companies, you know, relatively big companies within, uh, within Leeds, uh, building firms, and they'll just rock them out at golf days, make them turn up and sign a few things. And they probably get like 30 or 40 grand a year for doing something like that. So someone as well known as him. And as you say, with the fan base that he's got in Leeds, there'll be plenty of options available to him. And if he's listening to this and he fancies uh, being on a podcast, then obviously he can always uh, be a special guest on the Tapping Up podcast. Come on, sure. uh, come on, Josh, and tell us, hopefully after your victory, give us an exclusive uh, interview after your victory to uh, a real true Leeds fan and season Yeah, there, there you go. There you go. And a, a miserable Liverpool fan, because that's what everyone wants. Um good place to end it there then. So best of luck to Josh Warrington this weekend. Again, a little bit biased, but fuck it, it's my podcast, do what I want. So uh, best of luck to him this weekend and we'll speak to you next week. Bye.